You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Irving keeps saying that what the Nets are going through right now as they continue to stack up L's is a good test. It's a good test for them down the end of the regular season. Unfortunately for the Nets, they keep failing them. At some point, they got to study differently or do something. <laughs> the Nets are failing these tests as they get close to the regular season, and they're still near the top of the East. Not so for the Lakers, whose struggles continue as well. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Happy Friday. A very happy Friday for us. Maybe not so much for two of the favorites in the NBA. It's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. We talked a bit about the Nets and Lakers last night. And Fitz, let's start with the Lakers. Not only do they take another L, but they lose Anthony Davis to a tweaked ankle that he hurt, you know, kind of backing up into the scorer's table, and then back spasms. So, you know, he, they, they try to figure out how good he's going to be tonight for a pivotal game against the Blazers. They still will not have LeBron James even on the bench at this game. And before Davis even left the game, he looked pretty horrid. Two for nine shooting, one rebound. Their offense didn't have it going. He looked stiff. And now they're trying to get these guys back to get a look at what their roster and all the pieces look like for the postseason. And it might be time to just shut it down. The only problem is you got to still get in there and, 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 and get a spot in the postseason to even be healthy for. Yeah, and our, our fantastic people at Stats and Info will tell you that our BPI, Basketball Power Index, says the Lakers have a 45% chance of having to play in the play-in tournament. But amazingly, if they win tonight, they have an 82% chance of avoiding the tournament. If they lose, they only have a 21% chance of avoiding the tournament. I have no idea how they factor these stats, too, by the way. I, I no idea. Like, I feel like there's a group of small hamsters that were running on the wheel, and they're just doing math I don't understand. Then all of a sudden, bam, the number comes out, and everybody hands it to us. We read it out. But... I do know that the numbers don't lie more often than not. They're accurate. And this all comes back to something that, you know, I've said earlier in the week and we talked about even last week. The Lakers don't look right. AD doesn't look right. Nothing looks easy with the way they're doing it. And as I was watching last night, I just kept thinking, I can't bank on this getting fixed. And you know I've been saying a long time I'm out on the nets. But I'm watching the Lakers say, God, like, how? How, does, how do we go from what we saw in the bubble at the end to what we're seeing right now? Because they look broken. And, and I don't know what fixes that with as little regular season as they have left. We have to just acknowledge that this is the version of the Lakers we're getting this year. And I'm not sure that there's a positive light at the end of the tunnel for Lakers fans. And it's the first time I felt that way all year. Yeah, it feels like we're getting up against that spot where we have to say again and over and over again if they're healthy. And even if they are healthy, there are some questions. This is a team that, despite all of the injuries and missed time from players, remains atop the league in defensive rating. Unfortunately, offensively, I think they've slipped down to 24th. So even when you get back LeBron and AD, if they are not at the peak of their powers, you get into a lot of questions trying to to, to see what this team might do against the best in the West. Um, and, and that's the big question mark for these Lakers is, is one that maybe we didn't think we would have on a team that's got two superstars in AD and, and LeBron, but 24th in offensive rating. And to your point about the, the importance of tonight's game, how big of a swing it is for them. They will be with a, if he goes, hobbled Anthony Davis, no LeBron, no Dennis Schroeder, no Talon Horton Tucker. 
The Blazers are coming off a five and one road trip. They just dusted Cleveland on Wednesday. And the Blazers have a lot to play for here, too. Um, so it, it it feels much more dire than we've been willing to say up to this point, Fitz, because, again, you can't just sit AD and LeBron and say we need them to be 100% for the postseason because now you're in a really dire situation that's going to add games. And a lot of folks say, well, you know, those play-in games will be similar to the kind of practice that they would get if they were off when they would need to get that you know, a good practice and to be ready. I don't want to face up one of these teams in a play-in game and possibly be bounced and have my postseason end because we slipped that low. Yeah, and what I can't figure out, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, is, you know, what is the right thing to, to even root for here? Because the basketball fan in me wants to see a team, you know, go out and do the impossible. As much as we went into this season, I went into this season – saying, what the hell's the point? Well, now we're learning what the point is because it doesn't always come together. And, and you know, I need that reminder every once in a while. Seeing a team like the Jazz or the Suns go through this would be uh, sort of amazing. But also the thought of losing the Lakers in the play on, play-in tournament, which is a very real thought at this point, it just feels shaky. Like, it's stunning, and it's a, it's a development I don't think any of us could have predicted. They're 16-23 and 23 since Valentine's Day, which is when AD went down with the Achilles strain. But for a little perspective... That's worse than the Bulls or the Kings since then. So, you know, hey, you start thinking about... Where, I don't know no if we offense. need to bring the Bulls yeah, into this. I mean, it's just a reminder. <laughs> uh, they're 9-14 and 14 without LeBron, 7-10 and 10 without uh, both uh, James and Davis this season. All of those numbers just tell you that this thing is a free fall, mm-hmm. and I don't know that they can fix it. Like, I'm at that spot with the Lakers where I just wonder if it isn't better to shut everything down and say, hey, we'll see you next year and we'll get it right. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio were presented by Progressive Insurance. So the Lakers will either end up having to play their way in and then face the top or second best team in the league um, or evade and and, and avoid the the play-in but still end up much lower in the West than we imagined and facing a much tougher challenge early on. We'll flip the script on that and talk about how that affects the rest of the West later in the show. But let's talk about the Nets quickly. Sort of the opposite problem there, right? Lakers number one in team defense. Their offense is down at 24. The Nets, as we know, one of the most offensively firepowered teams we've ever seen. 23rd in team defense. And the stat that stood out to me when I looked it up today was opponent points in the paint. They're 17th in the league in that. If you think that the goal for this Nets team is anything other than a title, you're wrong. Right? I, I get it. It's it's the first year of them all together. They've been in and out of the lineup. You'll be able to make excuses if it doesn't pan out. But most people expect this team to be title bound. Think about who they have to go through in the East to get to the finals. Embiid and the Sixers, Giannis and the Bucks. So if you are struggling to stop paints points in the paint, those are the two opposite teams that you want. Then they're second worst in the entire league in second point, second chance points given up. The Pacers are the only team worse. So again, you're soft in the middle and as much as we want to talk about the circus-like offense for that team in a postseason series against a team that is planning directly for you, that soft defense is going to become a real big deal. Yeah, and I feel like even attacking them in general will become an agitator too. Like you just think about what we usually see in the playoffs, and that's part of why you know it's funny because the Nets health-wise and even right now talent on the floor-wise are in a better shape than the Lakers. And I've already said I was out because of the lack of continuity, but it's not just the lack of continuity. It's the lack of continuity for the Nets combined with the continuity that other teams have 
it's a lack of of defensive effort, as you've mentioned, that the Nets have compared to what they'll be forced to match up against with the 76ers team. I think we're not giving enough love to and a Bucks team that is better than considered by many. I think part of my reason that I have so much doubt for the Nets isn't just because the Nets aren't as good as we thought when you factor in both sides of the floor. They're remarkable on one, but not on the other. It's also because I think we underestimated as a general media world. We've underestimated the 76ers and the Bucks and just how good they are this year. So the path is just so stinking tough for the Nets. It's hard for me to see a way that they're going to be able to win if they don't play better all around basketball. Completely agree. And, you know, they're they're coming in pretty chesty, right? And maybe that's just the way they, they roll. But Harden saying their team will be fine because they have something other teams don't, talent, right? And then Kyrie and Nash saying this is all good tests for us. We're going to be fine. And they are still second in the, in the East, which, you know, they're not free-falling the way the Lakers are. But it is worth noting that the last four games where they have keep getting L's has been sort of playoff intensity, right? Teams that are needing to win to keep their own playoff goals alive. And it's been ugly because they're finally getting that playoff intensity. And, you know, we won't know what it'll look like until they're all in there. But again, Harden needs to get healthy enough to not forget how to basketball and be a weakling for the team in the postseason, as great as he's been when he's been out there. Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up, when the big men fall, they fall hard. Why the officials are allegedly to blame for Zion Williamson's potentially season-ending injury. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain, Jason Fitz, happy Friday! ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, guest joining us on the Goodyear Hotline. Some bad news for the Pelicans and for fans of the NBA. Zion Williamson, who's been an absolute treat to watch this year, injured his left ring finger, a fracture, uh, and not officially out for the season. A timetable for his return going to be determined after they further evaluate him. Uh, got a, C-scan, a CT scan uh, yesterday, and... Uh, The real story here is not just the injury, but the response to it fits. What we've heard is a finger pointing, I guess appropriately so, from, (laughs) thank you, David Griffin, the executive VP of of basketball ops for the Pelicans, at the league. And it's sort of an attempt to claim that this injury is a cumulative effect of the league not protecting their star and not calling fouls on him, leading to him being ripe for injury. Here's what David Griffin said. I'm really frustrated because this was avoidable. We told the NBA through every means available to us, uh, through sending in film, through speaking to everybody in the officials department, everybody in basketball operations, that the way they were officiating Zion was going to get him injured. And quite frankly, he's injured now because of the open season that there's been on Zion Williamson in the paint. He has been absolutely mauled in the paint on a regular basis to the point that other players have said to him, I'm going to keep doing this to you because they don't call it. So there is more violence encouraged in the paint against Zion Williamson than any player I've seen since Shaq. It was egregious and horrific then, and the same is true now. Again, I'm, I'm very disappointed that he's not going to be available here for the foreseeable future anyway. Um, but I'm more disappointed in, in, our, in us, quite frankly, that we weren't able to bring the, the appropriate sense of urgency to the league conversation around the way he was officiated. Fitz, it was 13 minutes total. That's just a small part of it. 
but he alleges that it's a blunt force injury, a striking injury. He was being beaten on the hand over and over and over again. I think he probably suffered the injury over a period of time. Now, I didn't see the CT scan or any x-rays or anything, but I also know that it's pretty easy to fracture a finger in basketball just with a one-off event. Um, Are you buying that this is not just the result of it was bound to happen, but, but even the result of over and over again, the injury was adding up? No, I, I think there's some context here. And, you know, last week uh, when I was hosting uh, Sports Nation, we actually showed some highlights of Zion at the time uh, just getting pounded and it didn't get called. And that's happened. Uh, I think that's pretty undeniable. But also Zion gives contact. I mean, that's just part of how he plays. It's an aggressive way to handle everything under the paint because he gives aggressively and he takes aggressively. So, you know, obviously I think the league could do a better job in some of those spots trying to calm things down. And even Zion has admitted that he doesn't get benefit of the doubt calls yet because he's not a big enough brand. But when you actually break down the numbers, I think it's pretty important here. Of the 102 players in the NBA that have at least 300 drives, there's 102 of them, Zion's been fouled on 11.8% of his drives. That's the fourth highest rate for anybody driving the lane. And also, he's second in total free throw attempts this season behind only Giannis. Could we argue that he could get more calls? Heck yeah. Is there data that supports he's not getting any calls? No. And that's why I think that there's got to be some context to the conversation. I think officials are managing Zion, and maybe they're not doing a good enough job and they need to get better. But I think it's also a little bit blind to sort of say that the league itself is willfully allowing one of the biggest stars that they've branded in generations to just get pounded without any remorse or concern for his future safety. That doesn't doesn't even make sense to align to the league's future business plan. So can everybody get better? Yes. But is everybody abandoning Zion in a way that puts him at higher risk? I, I really don't think so. Yeah, there's a couple things at play here, Fitz, and I think you're, of course, right. It doesn't benefit the league to potentially injure a young superstar. So the idea, as Griffin said, they would encourage violence by, you know, intentionally not calling enough. I think that's very clearly not something I'm going to buy into, that there's an agenda from the officials. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. But it's also hard to call players like this. We've had this conversation about any number of players, and that includes, you know, Shaq. LeBron, the guys that are big, the guys whose bodies just don't fit, even the big, strong archetype of the NBA that go above and beyond that, it's real tough to figure out whether they're, you know, a a bull in a china shop and, and they're taking out guys like bowling pins and should be called for charges or aggressive play. Um, and also to call when they get fouled. They don't react the same way and bounce off people the same way as the as the smaller guys. And so while I don't think it's intentional, I do think, to your point, there can be a looking over of the statistics to figure out whether it's, it's, it's a flaw in just using the naked eye to decide whether he's been hit. Well, and I think where Griffin is doing his job is he's also being very public in a way mm-hmm. that will at least, uh, you know, it lobbies for the future, and that's part of what has to happen here. But uh, while Zion playing against NBA players is much different than any lo- other level of basketball, don't we at some level see this at every age in basketball when you've got like the one kid that's bigger, faster, stronger, 
that's playing in high school. He knocks everybody over, and you're sitting there saying, was that a foul or did he get fouled? And if you ever play in any pickup league, you got the one guy in the gym that's bigger, faster, stronger. And, and frankly, I think some of this plagued Zion even at Duke. I mean, he's just so much stronger than the kids that were trying to guard him. What we expected is when he uh, popped up to the NBA that that wouldn't necessarily be the case the same way. But it is, and it becomes a handful to figure out how to guard him. And I'm not sure everybody's doing a great job of doing it cleanly, but I think officials also need a little bit of grace here in the process of trying to figure out how to call it. And it's such a fine line. Like, do we really want a world where he gets fouled on every single possession and it gets called every single possession? Because then it'll just be an argument that officials are slowing the game down. They've got to let him play. Like, it's sort of a lose-lose situation for the people that are calling the game. It's Spain and Fitz here. Spain, Jason Fitz were presented by Progressive Insurance. It, it certainly helps their cause to publicly call this out and for them to have this specific incident of an injury. They don't, they don't want him injured, of course, but to be able to point to that as a sign that what they're saying is valid. You also have to remember that there was um, uh, not long ago that 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 game involving uh, the, the ending play with Jokic. Um, you know, he makes the game-saving block. Everybody thinks there's a foul. It doesn't get called. Big hullabaloo. And then, of course, in the last two minutes report, the league acknowledged that there was an error there, that Jokic did, in fact, hit Zion's wrist, foul should have been called. When you have a high-profile, game-ending, game-deciding moments like that, and then you add in an injury here, there's probably an expectation that even if it's subconscious and not intentional, some of the calls will start going his way. Don't forget, the NBA is on ESPN Radio. Tune in Sunday as the Celtics host the Heat, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 12.30 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN Radio stations. Fitz, um... Bummer for for the Pelicans and for Zion, although right now we still don't yet know if that means he's out for the year. Um, But I also have a couple other teams in the league that I suddenly started thinking about them today and what a bummer the way this Lakers season has gone will be for them. Flipping the script on the way we see that and also flipping the script on the way I want to talk about the play-in games. I have to admit, some of the whining and belly aching from some of the stars in this league had me wondering whether those playing games were a good call and I'm watching and thinking to myself boy are these working how about you oh god yeah like I am mesmerized by the end of the season for who's going to get the sixth seed and when have we ever cared about that I mean that is that is a truth I think for most of us you're watching it and suddenly games have more impact across the board I love every yeah, second 100 percent. so we'll get into some of that and and why you know despite LeBron wanting someone fired and, and Luca complaining uh it does matter I think we can all agree it's working out just the way the NBA planned it's coming up next Spain and Fitz ESPN Radio Spain and Fitz the podcast it's Friday! That's how it's done on Spain and Fitz. ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spade, Jason Fitz. All of our guests appear on the Goodyear hotline. All right, you know why I'm so excited, Sarah? Not just because it's Because Friday that was just a banger from Beastie Boys, one of my faves. That's part of it, you know, it's part of it. And, you know, part of it's that we get to spend our Friday evening getting ready uh, for the weekend uh, together, hanging out with, uh, with each other. That, that always brings my heart great joy. But I'm going to go one step further today, wow. by the way. ESPN Radio presented oh, by Progressive bevy Insurance. Of <laughs> you can join host Nate Burleson and guest Justin Fields, Najee Harris, and Jamar Chase in the new Progressive YouTube series up all night. Watch every episode exclusively on youtube.com slash progressive. Okay. Part of the reason I'm so excited is because as you were just referencing, 
I think I'm infatuated at this point with the play-in tournament. I love it. I love everything about the tournament. And part of the reason I love it is because everything I thought I knew coming into the season now is up in the air. P.J. Carlismo, ESPN NBA analyst, said this about the Lakers on Greeny. Not a gimme they're going to get through that first round anymore. You don't know what kind of matchup they're going to have, the way they're going and the, the games that are left. As much as uh, people are, or some people are, are complaining, uh, I think that the play-in has been fantastic. I mean, what it's done to interest in so many cities uh, across the country, both east and west, and, and it's made games that – traditionally in the past were games you didn't want to watch. They're they're critical games now. You don't know who's going to end up playing who. I mean, if you go back six months ago, Sarah, most of us wouldn't be sitting there saying, oh, God, I can't wait for the Friday night matchup between the Lakers and the Blazers. But that's where I am because – Well, we might have been. I mean, that's two great teams, so we might have been. I'll give you the real one we wouldn't have been looking to. The Saturday, May 15th matchup between the Lakers and the Pacers. Right? I mean, I'm always here to watch Dame. Am I always here to watch the Pacers, especially looking how they look now? The answer is absolutely not. No. But this time, when we're watching every single one of these Lakers games down the stretch, even that Pacers game is going to be a must-watch. You should get that printed on a T-shirt. Even the Pacers game <laughs> even is the a must-watch. Even the Pacers watch. are must-watch. <laughs> I mean, but there is some level for my mindset of – so much of what and, – and I think the NBA got lucky. I'm going to be the first to say that there's a lot of luck coming in to the teams that are battling for this because you're right. The Trailblazers at least have brand identity to so many teams, uh, to so many fans. When you're talking about a play-in, as we talked about yesterday, that could include the Lakers, the Warriors, the Grizzlies, uh, you know, uh, we'll see what happens with the Pelicans at this point. But any way you want to look at it, you are talking about teams that have stars. You're talking about teams that have brand recognition – and they're all fighting for the opportunity just to play into the playoffs. And in the meantime, we become more mesmerized than ever with, for example, the Mavericks in the West because it's not just about the Mavericks, can they take the four seed? It's about can the Mavericks keep themselves ahead of all of the play-in noise. That is tremendously interesting for the league, and it's a much better conversation than we'd usually be having right now about whether or not the Pistons or the Cavs are trying to actually win games or whether the Rockets have completely taken everybody out to tank. Like We're not having those normal conversations. Yeah, and, and a couple things off of that. It's it's luck for right now because the last nine days or so of this season are must-watch. It's bad luck because it's the result of a lot of injuries. And it's we, we talked to Kareth Burke of the Warriors the other night about how Steph sort of saved the regular season for the NBA with his month of April because it has been a letdown to not get to see the Nets at full strength. It's been a letdown to have LeBron and AD miss so much. It's been a letdown to see a Denver team that was so exciting, see Jamal Murray get hurt and get bounced. So those injuries have affected these top-level teams in ways that have resulted in them, you know, having to fight a lot harder down the stretch than than we would think. You look right now, and to your point about, you know, the playing tournament, there's some pretty interesting matchups. Not so much in the East, right? Pacers, Wizards. Wizards are interesting because they started so poorly and they found their way into trying to get into the postseason. Uh, the, the Heat and the Hornets. Heat are interesting, of course, because we saw what they were able to do last year in the postseason. Could they put together another magical run and take out some other better teams? Maybe. The West is really where the magic happens with Grizzlies, Spurs, some top superstars in there to, to get an eye on. And right now it would be Warriors, Blazers. 
I don't want either of those teams to get bounced. I want to see a bunch of the Warriors in the postseason. I want to see even more so a bunch of the Blazers. So um, it, it has worked out great, despite some of the people who are the loudest against it, because they did not for a second imagine that they would be involved in it. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Now that takes me one step further, though, because I can't help but look at it and just let's just play the what if. Let's just have a little what if fun here. All right. What if the Lakers find themselves in the play-in tournament? Where what if the Lakers find themselves, let's say, as the seven or eight seed through the late, through the play-in tournament, where suddenly they have a matchup against the Jazz or the Suns, two of the best teams in the NBA all year? And what if in that process? LeBron and AD happened to get like Hulk Hogan 80s powers where like the arm was dropped once, twice, and on the third time you start shaking, he starts standing up, he is risen, you cannot stop him, and suddenly the Lakers find themselves eliminating one of the best teams in the West. Like on the one hand, I love that for the drama of what it does in the first year of the play-in. On the other hand, you want to talk heartbreaking for the Jazz and the Suns particularly if they have to get that matchup in the first round. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast, Apple, iTunes, ESPN app. Yeah, it's a little TMI, but we talked about this before the show. I brought this up because I was uh, I was on the can today. I was on the can listening to some ESPN Radio. I was thinking about how we spent a lot of time talking about the Lakers le- recently, and for very good reason. They're a big focus, and their struggles are really compelling. And for a second, I thought to myself, man, the Lakers, what a disaster this would be. You know, you end up... If you eke your way in, you're a seven or eight seed, and that looks pretty bad. And then I thought, hold up, what if we flipped the script and actually thought about other teams in the league instead of just the Lakers? And I thought, what a bummer this is for a team that wire-to-wire has been the best in the standings, Uh, the team that has been consistently good for the entirety of the season, who now has to go up against a Lakers team that could either, very easily at this point, be completely hobbled, not have their you-know-what together, falter and get bounced, or alternately could get healthy, be the world beaters we saw and expected to dominate this year, and take you out. That is an unfortunate position to be in for teams that have worked all season to put themselves in the spot that you want to be at, which is one of the top seeds. Well, And especially when you look at the top seeds existing right now, if you're the Suns, I think, it, you know, if that's your, your scenario, you can at least look at it and say, okay, very young team. Chris Paul had this incredible year. Uh, we're going to get a, a year more experience. We're going to get a year more uh, veterany, And as a result, we're going to have a better run with the core that we have and we've built for the future. If you're the Jazz, as much as there's still young players on it, like the Jazz were sort of expected to be very good this year. I don't know how you stomach that as a Jazz fan, knowing that in a year where everything went wrong for the Lakers – you couldn't get out of their way. Like you couldn't get them out of your way. I should say that would be such a massive kick to the no-no places. I don't know how you handle it if you're a Jazz fan. I, I'm kind of going the opposite on that because oh. I agree with you. It'd be incredibly frustrating for a Jazz team that has at various times in this season looked like one of the best in the league, and especially early on, we're just wire to wire, crushing it offensively and defensively, making really good teams look bad. But because they're young because their system is built in a way that's replicable season to season, I'm not as worried about them. The Suns are a surprise team that absolutely has benefited from good coaching, and and there's a real argument for Coach of the Year to be a battle there with, with Tom Thibodeau. But how much more does Chris Paul have? How much longer do you have Chris Paul doing what he's doing? 
could this be a flash in the pan where that Suns team can't do it again next year because he can't do what he's doing, which is improbable enough this this far into his career? I, I would be worried about where the Suns go next year and whether they will have lost a, a prime opportunity. That's a fair point, considering how often I say you have to strike while your window is open because you never know when it's going to end. You, you you do make a fair point. All right, coming up, our mentions are still blowing up. Sports fans were absolutely annihilating so many athletes yesterday when we asked Twitter for the worst contract your team has ever had. Today, we're going to change that conversation a little bit and bring in a little Friday positivity. We'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. There are certain times that we ask questions or say things on air, pie is trash, that I just have to, like, I have to get off Twitter for a day because I know that my menchies are going to be so filled with people coming at me and I just can't fight the same fight over and over and over again. I expect that on certain topics. Yesterday, though, yesterday created an absolute you-know-what storm of chaos on our social media walls that I never would have expected. And I think... It's time to flip the script a little bit and turn it into a positive. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. All of our guests will join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And this all came yesterday from the release of Albert Pujols and the question that I asked during our prep as we were getting together. And we were thinking about something we could ask everybody and maybe have a little fun with. And I said, as a Raiders fan, I have so many answers to this, but what's the worst contract your team ever signed a player to? So I thought, Sarah, we would throw it out and it would just be a little bit of fun. And instead, my Twitter wall is still blowing up (laughs) with fans that are venting about every athlete that was ever signed by their team in the history of their team that got a bad deal. But I'm wondering if maybe we're giving Pujols a bad rap in this process. Well, first of all, I I expected this response. There is nothing that brings people out more than the hatred for the bad decisions that handcuffed their team for any stretch of time. And some of the answers were really terrible, just like grudges held against someone who has been nowhere near the worst contract their team has ever signed. But yes, the Menchies are full of those. And before we move on to Pujols and him deserving a little bit better of a eulogy than us simply mocking the contract that he signed with the Angels and now the fact that he's really of no use to any team that might want to pick him up, I just want to point out an interesting fact that I learned by virtue of asking that question um, when we asked the worst contract your team ever gave. We meant sort of like too much money, not enough output. Uh, But somebody pointed out that the Green Bay Packers actually drafted a serial killer. So I think that's up there for worst contracts given out. Randall Brent Randy Woodfield, according to his Wikipedia, is an American serial killer, rapist, kidnapper, and robber who was dubbed the I-5 killer or the I-5 bandit by the media due to the crimes he committed along the Interstate 5 corridor from Washington, Oregon, and California. Before his capture, he was suspected of multiple assaults and murders. He was only convicted in one murder, but linked to a total of 18, suspected of having killed up to 44 people. He is currently in jail on a life sentence plus 165 years. Um... I'm going to say bad, bad contract. I, I, you know, I don't know a lot about it, but I'm going to say when the Green Bay Packers drafted him in 1974, uh, it was a, it was a bad contract because he didn't actually make it through very long uh, on the team because he got arrested on a number of indecent exposures and they went ahead and cut him. Look, all I know is that I've just spent the last minute trying to find out if there's any documentary on the, as someone that loves documentaries and podcasts about serial killers, which I'm not sure what that says about my personality, but you tell me there's a documentary movie 
anything about a serial killer, a, a, a podcast series, and my day is You're done. You're into it. I, I'm going to watch and, and, and absorb every ounce of it. So I'm in for this. I'm going to have to find the I-5 killer uh, and see if there are any documentaries or podcasts I can listen to that will you explain will, in detail what he You did. will absolutely be shocked to, to learn this st- uh, fact from the Wikipedia bio. Quote, his football coaches helped conceal the incident of indecent exposure to prevent him from being ousted from the team. No good. That good. That's just a story as old as time. People in sports helping enable criminal behavior in order to serve their wins and losses column and it later manifesting itself in terrible, awful ways that everyone could have seen coming. Uh, by the way, people are already telling me there's a movie called The Hunt for the I-5 Killer. I don't want the movie. I want the documentary. I want like first. I want to start with facts first. Okay, well, they I might they might mean documentary by just saying movie. You'll have to okay. you'll have to double check whether that is a you know reenactment or or, or official doc. Yeah, and I'll take a, like an investigative ID reenactment, like where it's just plainly a reenactment. I just don't want to see Zac Efron playing Ted Bundy. I'd rather actually right. watch things Fair. about Ted Bundy. One hundred percent. We have gotten really off course. We've here. really Spain gotten off. I, listen, if 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 we can sink into a moment where the Packers drafted somebody that absolutely just killed, and we're not talking <laughs> Jordan Love, I'm here for it. Oh my God! Okay, so I guess I shouldn't make jokes about a serial killer. It's, I mean. It's been a while. I wouldn't say too soon. soon. I wouldn't say too soon, but it's really not funny. Uh, But, you know, the Packers have had the chance to kill my team's chances every year. So I guess we're just getting even. Oh, my God. I'm going to try and save us from this. Abba Pujols, maybe getting a little disrespect. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, and, yeah, yeah. So yeah, one back of the to things that. that I thought really stood out in the process of finding all of these athletes was that there are some that, yes, were, were tragic, terrible contracts that just were a waste. But there were some that were pretty good players. And as we were on air yesterday, one that you reacted to in the moment was Jay Cutler that got so much hate without, you know, acknowledging that Jay Cutler actually for Chicago had some success, right? Like, there's a difference between this this quarterback or this player got a terrible contract and did nothing in their career or this person didn't live up to expectations that's a far different conversation and maybe Pujols has been put in the wrong category after all of the baseballs right. he killed well I don't think anyone's actually putting him in that category killed. I don't think anyone is having a genuine honest to goodness conversation about Albert Pujols not being I appreciate uh, the producer just wrote Albert Pujols killed many baseballs in his career uh, well well done you uh, Albert Pujols by the way has has a hit off more than 10% of every player to have thrown a pitch in the history of baseball. So we're going to get a lot of those statistics. We're going to get reminded of his greatness. And it's just unfortunate the way this is panning out that instead of him retiring and us immediately reflecting on his greatness and everything he did in baseball, because it was middle of the season, end of a contract that was one of those massive, you know, decade long, completely overblown contracts, and because he wants to go play elsewhere and we're not sure he's of value anywhere, we're focusing on that instead of what a tremendous Hall of Famer he was. And that's there's really nothing we could do about that, right? You're going to address the right now, which is him getting waived and him wanting to go elsewhere before you can get to you know talking about all the good stuff. Yeah, and, and there's got to be some – that's why I think we talk a lot of, on this show about how sometimes context in – any historical context on somebody takes a little time. Like you need a little breath, a little separation from the moment to really see 
the body of work overall. But it does lead me to maybe a little bit of a different conversation about all of this as, you know, it's easy to throw hate. Well, maybe we throw a little love. Like, maybe what we get everybody to tell us now is the opposite. By the way, don't forget, tune in to an interleague battle tomorrow. The Yankees host the Nationals. Coverage begins 1230 Eastern on ESPN Radio in the ESPN app right now. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So what about the opposite side of this? You can tweet us at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. The best contract. Like, there's got to be some element here. I bet you we will not get near as many responses. No. But I will tell you, one Mr. Rich Gannon for my beloved Raiders signed in 1999 to a four-year deal, $16 million. That was a, a paltry amount of money at the time for a guy that had been essentially a backup quarterback for the Chiefs. John Gruden took a flyer on him, and everybody in Raider Nation was like, this is the guy that's going to – this is the guy? And then all he turned out to be was – the guy. So, you know, league MVP came out of that. He eventually got paid. But in the beginning, a value deal. See, look at me throwing a little love to somebody. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Do we want to qualify this all by saying the best free agent contract your team ever signed? Do you want it? Because no, I, I, like yeah, I don't know if we want to include, like, we drafted him, he was great, and then we re-signed him to a big deal. No, best I think free agent. might be, I like that. you know, I, I like that a little better. We are already absolutely going to get fewer than the 600 plus responses we got yesterday because that's the way human beings work. Like the, 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 the desire and need to vent about our team's failures is so overpowering compared to patting them on the back for actually doing a good job. Like the expectation is that they should always nail it. And when they don't, they should never hear the end of it. Uh, by the way, uh, I've got to give a shout out. Angry Bears fan dad man that follows us uh, and, and does a great job of tweeting us in the show has already tweeted me the link, the link to the I-5 Killer podcast, wow. Crime in Sports. Uh, so, A, nice I'm following work. Crime in Sports now. Like, let's make this happen. Uh, B, uh, we need to get the Crime in Sports people on the show. And C, I now know what I'm going to do with the rest of my Friday night because I have looked in the movie has John Corbett listed in it. So not a documentary, not a documentary. So, wow. you know, wow. I'll go with the podcast version. John of this Corbett, and, uh, like from know. Sex and the City? Yeah, 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 yeah. John Corbett. Wow, Aiden? Is Aiden yeah. the killer? I, I, I just can't see him in that role. Yeah, well, you know, that's I, I love that uh, that's where you went. Didn't he do I was about or... to make the most distasteful joke about the things that I could see him killing. And Save I cannot say it on the radio. Save I, it for the break. I that's... cannot even allude to it. I just did. But you remember Aiden. What a dream. Wow. I got nothing. I remember mean, he was a woodworker. A... Yep. Yep. All right. So about that sex in the city. Uh, yeah. And thank you for the podcast link. I'm going to check it out. Uh, that's what I'm going to do for the next hour while Sarah tries to swim in these murky waters. Coming up, something happened in the Blazers-Lakers game tonight that has not happened in over a year. We'll tell you what it is. Spain and Fitz hanging out with you on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM. Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. All guests join us on the show, on the Goodyear Hotline. Wow, almost uh, almost <laughs> went back in time there. Wow, there, look at almost, you, throwback. Almost went back in time. I have no <laughs> idea why. Uh, and uh, kudos to everybody. We're already already getting a bunch of tweets. We've asked you the best free agent signing of your team ever in franchise history. 
We're getting a bunch of tweets. We'll read some of those later. I'm, I'm proud of the positivity that's coming out. So uh, in the meantime, there is a spectacular game tonight in the NBA with a ton of meaning because the Lakers are taking on Portland, and this game is going to have something that hasn't happened in a very long time. So to get the breakdown, we'll head over to the Goodyear Hotline where we're joined by Casey Holdall from Trailblazers.com. Casey, thanks so much for the time. For the first time in over a year, there will be fans in the stands in this game tonight in Portland. What's that actually mean to the final product for the Blazers in your mind? Uh, one, thanks for having me. And two, it means a whole lot. Uh, the, the home court advantage here at the Moda Center has been one of the best in the NBA for some time now. And I know that a lot of teams say that, uh, but, I, but I think that it's been borne out over the years that Portland fans have been some of the most loyal and some of the most loud and supportive fans in the NBA. And so to, to take them out of the building this year has, has been detrimental to the team and, and both in terms of their win-loss record and I think their psyche as well. You know, this will be the first season ever where the Blazers will have a better road record than home record. It's never happened before. And, you know, we, we saw, you know, at the end of last week, you know, some of the other players or some of the players on the team really kind of expressing how, how fed up they were that there weren't fans in the arena. And then, you know, lo and behold, 24 hours later, they decided they will allow have to have fans in the arena. So uh, it, it's definitely a great thing. It's going to be about 19,000 fans. So, not, so nowhere close to a full house, but the first time I think in like 430 plus days that there will be fans here at the Moda Center. And I know that the entire organization, especially the players, are really looking forward to it. You know, I was surprised to learn that they would be the last team to allow fans in the league this year. And there's been frustration from the players, rightfully so. But since I have a good college friend out in Portland, I've heard a lot about how their COVID risk was at extreme up until a day or two ago, right? I mean, this... This was a red zone um, that was really not in a, in a place that a lot of other cities across America have gotten to with limited uh, protocols and restrictions. So just 10 percent of the capacity. So under 2000 people, are we screening people to, for like the loudest are allowed in? Are we having screaming matches, sign making contests? I, I, if, I mean, for this game and what it means, I think I would probably have auditions for those 2000. You know, I, I think if uh, if we were going to have call all the shots, I think we probably would have done something like that. I know that, that most of the tickets were made available to season ticket holders and then I think what they call the exclusive partners. Uh, but I've also seen on the secondary market that the tickets are, are quite a hot commodity tonight, which yeah. is a little bit of a bummer because the other thing about playing the Los Angeles Lakers here in Portland is that a lot of times you have quite a few Laker fans here in the building. And actually, you know, that's not a bad thing, but when it's only going to be 19 19- hundred fans and you haven't had fans in over a year, you know, it'd be nice to have a, a, a majority Blazer fan uh, attendance. And I think we will, but uh, I am curious to see kind of who the tickets ended up in the hands in, because I mean, I I've obviously follow a ton of trailblazer fans on social media and all of them very excited. And a lot of them are going to get to come to the game, which is fantastic. But I, I am curious what the makeup of, of the, uh, the, the rooting sections is going to be because, you know, obviously Los Angeles, not very far here from Portland. We have a lot of California transplants anyways. And, you know, when you're, when you're one of the most recognized names in sports, you generally draw a crowd. So I am a bit curious to see how, how the, it's yeah. going to shake out. But you might get a, short, just a bunch of quiet, rich people. You, know, you never want the quiet, <laughs> rich people trying to look cool. You need the, you need the unhinged fans that are ready to lose their minds. <laughs> Well, and that's what Damien said on. the other night, actually. He said, he's like, our fans aren't cool. Like, they actually care. And, <laughs> you know, some people took that as like, wait, is Damien saying we're not cool? And it's like, no, he's not saying cool as in, like, nice. He's saying too cool. And, yeah, that, that's Portland fans. Portland fans are never too cool. Uh, they will go over, above, and beyond uh, sometimes when it comes to supporting the team. And 
you know, nine times out of 10, that's a phenomenal thing. Every once in a while, it gets a little weird, but you know, you'd always rather have the support than otherwise. So it should be a fun win here tonight. We're talking to Casey Holdall from trailblazers.com on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. What's the overall energy like from the fans in this weird year with the play-in and the possibility that the Trailblazers, Trailblazers could get out of that or stay in it? Like, what's the overall play-in vibe in Portland? You know, I, I think it's kind of mixed right now because uh, on one hand, you know, the, <laughs> no one wants to be in the play-in, basically. And, you know, it's been an up-and-down season for Portland. They've won more than they've lost. But, you know, it didn't come together just as well as I think people would have liked to see, particularly defensively. So, you know, the fan base has kind of been up and down a bit in terms of, of kind of how they played and really kind of reflecting the results on the floor as well. So that's not exactly surprising. But I, I do think that there is a contingent of fans out there that look at the standings, look at how it's shaking out, and saying to themselves, would we really be better off being in sixth and having to face probably the Clippers? Or would we be better off being in seventh and facing the Jazz or the Suns, uh, teams that, you know, obviously are very good teams, but not teams that maybe have the top-end talent that a team like the Clippers have, and not teams that have a whole lot of previous playoff experience and success. So I, I do think there is a bit of a debate about, well, yeah, if you end up in the play-in, you know, you still got to win a game to get in. You don't get the extra week off, but you might get a better matchup in the play-in. So I, I do think that kind of some of those debates are going on, but after being in the play-in last season and needing to basically win every single game in the bubble in order to qualify for the postseason, I think by and large fans would just prefer that they're able to get into the top six spots and just, you know, whatever happens at that point happens. But there, there is definitely enthusiasm, particularly for the team coming off a trip going 5-1 and one after they went 0-4 oh on a homestand. So I would say this is about as excited as fans have been this season. And it's coming at just the right time because obviously we're getting fans back and you're in the stretch run now where, you know, you got six games and probably all of them are going to be important for Portland depending on whether or not they do end up in that play-in or, again, if they're going to get that three or four days off before their first round starts in that 5-6 matchup. It's Spain and Fitz there. Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio talking to Casey Holdall of trailblazers.com on the Goodyear Hotline, getting you ready for Blazers-Lakers tonight. A massive game. Fitz, I'll have you remind us on our way out of this segment here the exact uh, swing for the Lakers, particularly with a win or a loss tonight. But I wanted to ask you, Casey, before we let you go about Carmelo Anthony. There's a couple think pieces out right now, just revisiting the the tough time for him, trying to find a job in the NBA, how he was embarrassed to go on recruiting trips with his kids uh, to colleges when he didn't have a contract. Um, and this comes, these stories, right on the heels of him passing Elvin Hayes into the top 10 uh, NBA's all-time scoring list. What has his presence been like on this team, particularly maybe when there were some doubts when he arrived about what he could bring? Yeah, and I'll be perfectly honest. I was one of those people that, that was a bit skeptical about bringing Carmelo in. And at the time, you know, they were so decimated by injuries that it made sense. But, you know, I, I had reservations because I had read the same things that everyone else had read. And, you know, I have been – that was wrong. You know, like I, having spent the last – almost two years around Carmelo, like it, it is really, it's surprising to hear those things when you're around him on a day-to-day basis. Cause it just doesn't, it just doesn't seem to, to match the, the person and the player that we've come to know here in Portland. And, you know, I, I think, you know, when he joined the team, I, I think there was probably some skepticism because they had tried to get Carmelo before and he had kind of turned the team down. Both Damian and CJ had really kind of gone out of their way to, to try to recruit Melo. He had decided he wanted to go to, to Oklahoma city, understandable enough. And I kind of thought it was, that was it. And then when, it, when they had all the injuries and they're like, hey, we're going to bring Carmelo, you know, I, I think everyone was, they were fine with it, but I think there were, I think there were probably some reservations. They're just kind of wondering how it was going to work out. 
And, you know, you talk to every single player on the team and they all say the same exact thing, which is that, you know, I don't know where that stuff came from. I don't understand it. And Carmelo has really almost become like a, not a cost celeb, but like, I, I do feel like a lot of players in the NBA and a lot of guys in Portland's locker room look at Carmelo and say like, if Carmelo could end up out of the league, what does that mean for a guy like me? Because he's come back. He's done everything that we've asked him to do. He's played well. He's been an important part of the team's success. He is shooting a phenomenal percentage in the fourth quarter when it, when it actually matters. And they just don't real understand really like, well, how, what were the events that led up to Carmelo not being in the league? Because the guy that we see on a day in and day out basis is great in the locker room. He's great on the court. He's a mentor. Everyone respects him and he treats people with respect. So, you know, it's one of those things where I, I had some fairly low expectations and he's blown them completely out of the water. And I, it's been really gratifying in, in a season that has been hard, you know, just, you know, because of COVID and, and everything else that's gone on to have a guy like Carmelo around and, and really kind of, a, I don't know if I'd call him a culture setter, but just a guy who, who really brings a presence and an aura to your locker room. It's your buses, your team playing, to shoot around. You know, it is it has really been a delight, and and I'm really glad that Carmelo's had success here because it's been really beneficial for everybody. You guys can follow him on Twitter at C Hold. You can also check him out on tra- Trailblazers.com. Casey Holdall, Casey, thank you so much for joining us and giving us the insight, my friend. We appreciate you. I really appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. Casey's brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear more driven, as Sarah mentioned there. The Lakers win. They have an 82% chance, according to our stats and info group, to avoid the play-in tournament, but only a 21% chance if they don't win. You can say the same for the Blazers. If the Trailblazers win, they have a 73% chance of avoiding it. If they lose, only a 9%. So a lot on the line with this game. Coming up, picture this. You got the one side of it, the unexpected benefit from all of this play-in conversation about what we're talking about. But there's one unexpected problem that the NBA could face this year. We'll tell about it, tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Don't forget, subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can get some exclusive content out there. It's a great way to keep up with anything that you might have missed throughout the course of the week. And frankly, we just want you to do it. So get out there, have some fun, subscribe to the podcast. Now, Sarah, we talked a little bit about it earlier, but there's this this interesting moment here of trying to figure out what is happening this season with the NBA, particularly because... It's hard to put the two teams that we all thought would be in the final into any level of context to where they're headed or where it's going. And at some point, that means that the NBA is facing sort of a lose-lose situation. And it might not be early in the playoffs, but at some point, uh, there will be this moment where the Lakers, who just look like they're going to be left for dead at this point, they're so injured and just look so... Uh, rusty at this point. I I have to wonder what's worse for the league, getting the Lakers out completely or having the Lakers uh, upset one of these teams like Utah or Phoenix and having them go on a run because it feels like both sides of that coin are really damaging for the NBA. Nah, I don't think it's damaging if they win and go on a run. I think the NBA thrives on superstars and it thrives on even hated superstars, right? So even a team like the Nets that there are some question marks about, you know, what precedent that might set for a regular season that means virtually nothing if the Nets go on to win. We know what the injuries have done to the Lakers. We know what we saw last year in the bubble. And LeBron James being at the peak of his powers is always going to be a massive draw for everyone from the diehards to the casuals. So 
I think for the NBA side of things, as much as it's a disappointment for the markets that are excited about the Suns and the Jazz and everybody, you know, I think they they'd much prefer the Lakers to get healthy and go on a run in the postseason to sort of just wilt out of it. LeBron comes, and this this has been fascinating to me watching this. LeBron saying the other day, "I don't know if I'll ever be one hundred percent again." That's just not something we've heard from before. And some radio talking head folks like to call him soft and weak because of that. It, it's beyond me how you could ever imagine calling LeBron James weak after he's played eleven seasons. Uh, without major injury and the way he's talking about this one feels different and reminds us that as much as I'm still ain't picking against LeBron he's still human and he's still capable of 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 injury and this one feels different enough that I I think I'm really torn at this point whether they're just going to heal up and do what we always thought they'd do or whether it's over. And, and I don't think you're wrong. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, obviously, short-term particularly, the biggest win for the league would be for the Lakers to go on a run because people pay attention to the Lakers. I'm not sure that a lot of people will be clamoring, and no offense to any of these great cities that are you know, with fantastic fans, but uh, let's just be real, a Phoenix-Milwaukee final is not going to get the same level of ratings that a B- Brooklyn Lakers final is, right? Like, that that's you're right about that. Like having them go on that run. I just feel like if they go on that run, it sort of devalues the regular season even more, which has already happened to such a large extent that at times it feels hard to convince anyone to pay attention to the regular season because so much of the emphasis is put solely on what happens in the postseason. Now, that being said, when you look at the path for the Nets and you look at the path for the Lakers, I keep thinking health is all that the Lakers need to get right, but that's asking for a lot. So which one do you think is capable of going on a deeper run. Well, it's it's not just health, right? It's health and the ability to create a functioning offense that can contend with the best. We know their defense is strong, but um, you know there are still some question marks about the Lakers, even when AD and LeBron are out there. And um, because of the success that they've had, and because we spent the whole offseason basically assigning them another championship, what we've seen has been both shocking and expected because of the number of games missed. And I think, you know, most of us up until the last couple of days and the continued freefall just kept saying, they'll be fine. I'm not betting against LeBron. They're going to be fine. They're going to get healthy. Um, and instead, you know, it's not just get healthy and get back. It's how do you play alongside Andre Drummond? Have you haven't spent any time with, how do you get your offense to be smooth enough in a shootout game to actually compete? And um, man, it's uh, I'm not feeling sorry for Lakers fans because they just won, but the expectations were about as high as they come coming in. And it's just been a progressive, you know, draining. To your point, Frank Fogel, Lakers head coach, reminds us that maybe nobody's feeling sorry for the Lakers. Yeah, we're, we're hanging in there. You know what I mean? No one's feeling sorry for, for themselves. Uh, we know we got to be better, even at, under adverse circumstances. The mid-game uh, loss of Anthony was was tough. I mean, you know, we basically spent the last two days trying to figure out how we're going to be creative and uh, making him the focal point. And when he's out, you know, we're, we're left to adjust on the fly again. Like I said, nobody's feeling sorry for us. Uh, we're not feeling sorry for ourselves, and, and we have to be better uh, competing through adverse circumstances. And he's not wrong. Like, nobody's ever going to shed a tear for – the Lakers other than Lakers fans and, and LeBron in this process. I guess, like, again, I keep going back to proof of concept on why I feel like the Lakers could go on a run. Also, I still believe 
that the path is tougher for the Nets. We talked about it yesterday, but realistically, if you're the the Nets going into this playoff series, you might be asked to to beat Milwaukee, an underrated Milwaukee team, and then beat the 76ers just to get to the final. Like, that is not going to be – that's not a path. That's not the yellow brick road right there for the Lakers. I I feel like that's – or for the Nets, I should say. I feel like that's a difficult path ahead of them that makes it hard for me to bet that the the Nets can go as far as they intend to go this year. So I I think the Lakers are still going to be better positioned. I'm just presuming everything's about health. And the only presumption I can make there is that it works out because if it doesn't work out, the Lakers are done, you know, in one game. Yeah, I mean, right now, and certainly there's plenty that can happen over the coming days. Right now, Brooklyn's sitting at the two seed, so they'll face the winner of that 7-8 game, which as of right now would be Heat Hornets, right? You know, they would get a little bit of time to, to get healthy and figure things out before they'd have to face the big dogs in the East. And the point I mentioned earlier stands, right? Their defensive efficiency is 23rd in the league. They're 17th best in terms of opponent points in the paint. They're second worst in the league in second chance points for opponents. So this is a team that doesn't stack up well against teams with dominant centers who who put a lot of emphasis on scoring in the paint. So they might get farther before they start to have issues, but those issues are going to arise for even the Nets. It just feels so foreign to be looking at the Nets and the Lakers, the two teams coming into the season that I felt were just so cemented as the eventual NBA Finals matchup and see such blatant holes in the way that they play right now, and to see so little that that is known at this point in the NBA season, which is, again, one thing that I think is incredible about this year. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive's Home Insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. Coming up, the Yankees' bats have finally woken up. Well, the defending champion Dodgers fallen back down to earth. We'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It been a better day if I had won around the horn, but somehow Tony Reale decided didn't? to... No, I didn't. Didn't um, even make showdown. Uh, Tony Reale decided to eliminate both of the Cornell University graduates from the show today. Uh, a disgrace, if you ask me. It's rigged. Um, yeah, yeah, Fixed. it was rigged. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, of course, the other Cordell University graduate I speak of who was also wrongfully dismissed ahead of showdown is ESPN MLB writer June Lee. He was on just his second show, and that's how Tony welcomes him, but with a, with a, with a cruel and unworthy elimination. June, I appreciate that you pulled yourself together to make it on the show tonight. Yeah, I mean, I, I walked home from the studio after that with just, like, in my Charlie Brown, like, head-down mode, and now I had to, like, really, like, ramp myself back up to, to get on the radio with you guys, so I appreciate <laughs> you having me. I got to ask, like, a trash-talking question here because, you know, I'm not cool enough to, to ever get on this show. So, like, is there trash-talking between you guys for whoever wins at the end? Like, is there a group thread that goes out where somebody says, no, 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 I won? <laughs> uh, I, I, Sarah could probably answer that better. I have never been the recipient of that. Oh. Right. Most of the most of the trash talking does not come post victory. It usually comes in the emails when someone is introduced as a new member of the panel. Mm. So June can speak to the fact that as soon as Tony and the crew send out everybody, welcome June. He's our newest member. Uh, you can you can be assured that half of the group will be extremely nice. Someone like maybe Jackie McMullen and others who will go unnamed might immediately start talking trash and tell you that uh, you're going down. Yeah, definitely got a lot of trash talk. I think in that first email chain, and I think the 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 go like switching back and forth between like oh like incredibly warm welcoming emails, and also <laughs> then like 
semi-passive-aggressive emails was like a kind of a, a culture shock. <laughs> Uh, well, June, we're happy to have you, and we're happy to have you talk some baseball. Uh, I want to start with the positives, and that, of course, for me, is the Cubs winning four in a row. Um, but hanging over everything they do this season is a conversation about what this core looks like going forward. And, of course, the success Chris Bryant has had is leading everyone to say, quick, sell now, sell high. Um, if you're If you're looking out to the end of this season and next, which of the superstars that are, uh, you know, potentially going to be gone, do you see actually uh, being a priority for the Cubs to resign and, and sticking around for a couple more years? I, I mean, I think it's a really tough question to ask because I think it, this is a question I think is going to be dependent on the, reg, the rest of the regular season. Um, just generally with Theo leaving, this, this team is in kind of an interesting transitional place where they're kind of in between. And so, I mean – a guy like Javi Baez is probably the, the person I prioritize the most, just given the position that he plays. Um, but it, they're in a really weird place where Jed Hoyer has to decide what the future of this franchise looks like. Because it was interesting, I remember when the Cubs won the World Series, that I think there was a lot of premature predictions of this being like the next dynasty of the mm-hmm. baseball decade. And uh, as with many baseball predictions that are of that form, it, it hasn't panned out that way. So... It's, I think it's going to be really dependent, but the Cubs are just in such a weird transitionary phase that it's, it's kind of hard to kind of get a, a grasp on what's happening there. We're talking mm-hmm. ESPN Major League Baseball writer June Lee. So, June, every year I feel like I ask baseball experts at the beginning of the year, when can I react? Because it's such a long season and it's hard to take these little <laughs> spurts. You know, it's like, when can I get into it and have a problem? The Dodgers have lost 8 of 10. Now, am I at that sure. panic level yet, or do I need to continue to wait until the 4th of July before I start pulling my hair out if I'm a Dodgers fan? I personally don't start panicking about any team until the first week of June because a month, I mean, any baseball team, even the worst teams in the, in, in the league can have a good month. And so even coming out of April, like I just, I just don't believe the record until we get closer and closer to the All-Star break. And at the end of the day, this is 162 games. And so... Um, I think the Dodgers are going to be fine. I mean, they have the most talented roster in baseball, one of the most talented rosters in the last decade uh, in the sport. They have, they, they have so many potential ways that they can win. And so, you know, a, 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 a streak like this where they're, you know, they've currently lost three in a row, um, it doesn't really concern me because at the end of the day, you still have Mookie Betts, you still have Walker Bueller, you still have Cody Bellinger. There's, there's so much talent there that's, that I, I just trust talent to win out at the end of the day, especially in a sport like baseball. Yeah, me too. That's why I knew the Cubs were going to sweep them. Of course, that's how we know that's going to happen. <laughs> I do uh, this Julie... every day, June. Every day. <laughs> Julie, ESPN MLB writer with us here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Uh, June, we talked on this uh, about this on Around the Horn today, but I'd love for the radio audience to hear as well. You know, we sort of apologize to Pujols for asking a question about your team's worst contract based on his uh, being waived yesterday. <laughs> we also decided to offer up some praise for his incredible career. But uh, even Tony LaRusso, the one that I thought might give him a flyer today, said, you know, really no fit for, for Pujols on the White Sox. Is there anywhere that's a fit, even just to, to sell tickets? Can he do that at this point? I don't know if he can. And, like, that's kind of the sad part, I think, about this one, whole thing. I think it's, it's emblematic of a lot of sport, like, great athlete journeys where, you know, you want these storybook endings, but they're so few and far between. Like, getting an ending like Mariano Rivera or David Ortiz, the way that they went out at the end of their careers, it just doesn't really happen, especially in baseball. 
And so, I mean, Pools hasn't really been a productive player for a long time. And, you know, Sarah, I agreed with you in that the White Sox, on paper at least, especially with Tony La Russa there, seemed like the best potential fit. But also, it also didn't really make a lot of sense because you have the reigning MVP and Jose Abreu there, and then you have the leading rookie of the year candidate in the American League and Jermaine Mercedes, who's just, you know, demolishing the ball constantly. And so from a positional standpoint, it doesn't really make any sense. And just given where Pulse is in his career, the fact that he can't really run anymore, uh, there's not many teams that are a fit for him. I mean, you assume that he probably has to play in the American League, probably has to be a designated hitter for, for that reason. And there's just not many teams who need a 41-year-old Albert Pulse at this point who – you know, hasn't hit above 200 this year. So, uh, you know, I, I, I wish that wasn't hopefully ending this way for Albert Pujols, but it seems like there's a very, very strong chance that it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. June, part of the, the problem there was his age at the end of the contract. We've seen Major League Baseball in the last couple of years bank on some young superstars, but still very long deals. Is the strategy better simply because it's a younger player? Well, I think I think that's emblematic of a, of a greater trend in baseball, in that teams are bringing up guys younger and younger now. Um, players are coming up at age twenty, twenty one versus twenty four, twenty five that they used to maybe fifteen years ago. Um, there's just less time in the minor leagues. I think teams have realized from a development standpoint, and and just from a contractual money standpoint, that squeezing out these like early twenty years is worth it versus they're trying to re-sign a guy in their late. In, in their early 30s. So Poole signed his, his deal to go to the Angels at 32 versus you have a guy like Bryce Harper who hit the free agent market at age 27. That's a huge five-year gap, and that's a, an enormous amount of production. So, you know, it makes much more sense now to give a, a seven- to ten-year contract or whatever to a guy who came up when he was 20 years old and is hitting free agency at around 27, 28 versus – uh, kind of the strategic change. And I think this is just a generational gap thing where you're seeing a guy like Albert Pujols hit the free agent market at 32, and teams just aren't kind of using their players uh, in that way anymore. Yeah, he might be older than he is, too. That's part of the problem. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, <laughs> Jason Fitz, June Lee, ESPN MLB writer with us. Uh, the Yankees, Giancarlo Stanton, hot. This team uh, that looked like they were uh, going the same direction as the Dodgers have now won 7 of 10. Get in the zone, brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Talk to me about Stanton and the Yankees. Is this a trend now, or is it as much an ebb as the other was a flow, and we can expect the same and more of both? Uh, for me personally, I thought that the beginning of the season was an anomaly for the Yankees. I mean, this team is too talented from an offensive standpoint to be as bad as they were. I mean, Byron Cashman said they just wanted to forget the first 18 or so games of the season because it was so bad. Um, Stanton is one of the, I think, one of the streakiest superstars. And when that dude is on, he's on. I mean, he hits the, he hits the ball harder than anyone in baseball when he when he's locked in at the plate. And he's a truly terrifying hitter to face on a night-to-night basis. The big question mark with the Yankees is whether or not their pitching lives up to the hype uh, or lives up to – the hype is probably the wrong word – lives up to what they need it to be because they need guys like Corey Kluber, they need guys like Jameson Tyon to live up uh, to the expectations because they need that rotation to come together because you can only depend on Garrett Cole so much uh, to lead your team to the postseason. So I think the offense is going to be fine. I think the real long-term question mark is, is the starting rotation going to hold up and, and be good enough for, for this team to be a World Series contender? Because, you know, with the Yankees, that's what the expectation always is. Awesome stuff, June. Uh, real quick, Jason Fitz, Major League Baseball Bachelor. He is looking across the entire league and eliminating five teams at a time until he figures out who his team should be. He has never been a fan of a, a baseball team. 
We're doing personalities next. We're going to eliminate five teams that are boring. What's the number one most boring team? No good personalities, no exciting young players should be eliminated immediately. Oh, man, that's such a hard question. Um, Is it? Like, <laughs> I, yeah. It's just, I, I guess it's just not one I would have – the Rockies, maybe? I, there's, there's yeah. Not a whole, I mean, I, it I ain't bad. It's an easy one. It ain't bad. Yeah. All right. Well, we're we're the marking Rockies. a little check next to the Rockies. Oh, that's that's a tough one though. Partying in Colorado is fun. So that's all I have to say about that. Uh, just saying that uh, Fitz, is, <laughs> Fitz is incapable of consistency in this endeavor. Like yeah. he he makes a a, a a metric by which to decide and then immediately goes back on that. Well, so yeah, this yeah, is yeah, going to be a process. I will take uh, it into consideration, June. That's all I can promise. <laughs> June, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, June Lee, ESPN MLB writer with us here on Spain and Fitz. Everyone's got a cousin from Boston who forgets their wallet at dinner but never forgets a sixer of refreshing Sam Adams. Cheers to that. The Boston Beer Company, Boston Mass, savor the flavor responsibly. I love doing those reads because my buddy Greg is the cousin from Boston in those ads. And it makes me happy for him that he's no crushing way. it. Coming up, Sports Tinder, Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Friday! And we are mere minutes from our weekend starting. Fitz, you doing 11 more jobs right after this? No, you know what? Oh, I'm, uh, I'm doing 11 more uh, Flintstone uh, gummy vitamins after this, and I'm just going to sure. put my feet up on the couch and see what happens. Sure, Flintstone gummies. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast ESPN app, Apple, iTunes, get all the good stuff from the show you might miss. And we do some pre-party, post-party, digital-only content, too. You can only find there. Also, don't forget, tune into an NL East battle Sunday as the Braves host the Phillies. Coverage of Sunday Night Baseball begins at 6 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, 7 p.m. on ESPN. Like I said, it's Friday! That's right, it's Friday! I hope you all have big plans for the weekend. I'm going to go up to Michigan for a couple days to hang out with my parents, for Mama's Ooh. Day, going to take the dogs. Love Michigan. We've got 20 acres up there, and they just run around and roll in the feces of every animal possible. And uh, it's, it's heaven for them. So uh, looking forward to that. It is amazing how a dog can just find, like, oh, there's another dog's feces. I yeah. should roll in this. Like, I yeah. don't understand that. Like, you get a big yard, you put the fence up, you got all the room you need, and then suddenly a dog's like, oh, there's a pile yeah. of poo there. I should roll yeah. in that. I don't get it. Fletch is like, wow, a, a, a deer pooped? Let me make sure I get it uh, all over my body and my fur, deeply embedded in there. Uh, good mm. times, Fletch. Uh, we asked you guys a question, speaking of good times. We were trying to get good times after yesterday's downer of a question. We asked you for the worst contract your team ever signed, and 600-plus responses later, uh, we had to stop looking at the Menchies. It was depressing, and frankly, it was a bit much. You guys have... Responded a, a little bit less tonight, not surprisingly, to the positive side of that coin. The best contract your team has ever signed anyone to. But we went free agency on this one. We limited it a little bit, and we got some good answers. Uh, the, the ones for Chicago are, I've, I've seen are spot on. John Lester to the Cubs is certainly going to go down as one of the greatest free agent signings ever. Marion Hosa to the Blackhawks was part of a culture shift that resulted in three Stanley Cups in eight years. Dennis Rodman, Andre oh, Dawson with the black che- blank check. Those are all great ones. Um, Max Scherzer got a nod. Peyton Manning to the Broncos. Mookie to the Dodgers. It's early on that one, but that looks good. Reggie White, lots of votes for the Packers. LeBron James coming back to the Cavs and finally getting him a title. That's up there. Um 
Someone, Mountain Mike 99, 10-year-old me says Reggie Jackson in 1977. Little before my time. I, of course, heard about it and the success, but uh, wasn't around to celebrate that one. I uh, also was a little surprised at the number of Tom Brady uh, answers I got to this and the fact that that hadn't even occurred to me. I, like, it, as recent right. as that is, it wasn't in my mind that Brady would be on this list. And then it worked out pretty well for them. Tweeting it. Yeah, yeah I, think, I, think uh, it, I think it turned out okay. Also, uh, Tony Aquavelva, Red Sox signed David Ortiz to a one-year, $1.5 million deal in 2003. That worked out pretty well for them. So uh, we got some good ones. We got some positivity going into the weekend. And the other thing we always do going into the weekend, fits is, of course, join all of our listeners swiping and making bad decisions with a little something we call Sports Tinder. Sports Tinder. Oh, God. Forget every time that new sexy voice Kai is going to do that. I just got so used to the other guy. I need. Can we get him to just voice like a an, an order for like a drive through so that I can just I just want to see what people look that like. That is what where your head like. would go. Mine I was mean, like I want him to voice my voicemail. Like, hey, Sarah can't get to the phone right now. And you went with ordering a, a Wendy's yeah, double. Cheeseburger. Yeah, because I want them. To, I want like the person to hear that voice be like I'm like a junior <laughs> bacon cheeseburger frosty. You know and they'll take extra up. care with those patties for you if you if you got that. And then, then I pull up to the window. I'm like, hi guys. I like my phone now. Like, I just want to see that reaction. <laughs> uh, it is sports Tinder. This is where we ask a question. Sometimes sports related, sometimes not. And then we swipe up to answer. If we swipe up, we super like. Swipe right, we agree. Swipe left, we disagree. Swipe down, we hate it. And we're starting with an answer, one of the best I've heard, to a question on Jeopardy. Here's what it sounded like. Hot stuff for a thousand. Stefano Ferrara is a famous maker of these which can reach a temperature of 800 degrees inside. Steve, is it calzone? No. What are ovens? Steve. (laughs) (laughs) Who among us, Fitz, who among us has not bitten into a calzone or a hot pocket, which is essentially just a microwave calzone, and thought, what is this, 800 degrees? It was either a calzone or a Juicy Lucy. You ever had a Juicy Lucy? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But, yeah, they you warn know. you. They, they make you wait like 15 minutes with it sitting on the plate before you're allowed to bite it. And then still hot lava oozes directly off of it onto your hand and you have second degree burns. And the thing of it is, by the way, uh, like for me, every time I know I shouldn't do it, I look at the calzone or the hot pocket. I say to myself loudly, it hasn't been <laughs> enough time. Then I still eat it. And then like two days later, I wonder why the top of my roof still doesn't feel right. And it's like, oh, yeah, I had a calzone on Monday. Like that's the inevitable <laughs> journey for me every time I'm presented with one. I'm a child. Well, of course, the the question for this particular soundbite, which is uh, should he have gotten uh, should they have accepted the answer of calzone for the thing that can reach up to 800 degrees? Oh, yeah. I am going to swipe up. Super like. Oh, yeah. You take that answer because it's funny and we all know it's true. Like the judges <laughs> intervene in this one and say, oh, yeah, we didn't think about that. But that is a true answer. Yeah, I'm going to swipe up. Super like. Normally, I'd be a stickler for the rules. But in this case, you know, the transitive property, you put the calzone in the oven. The oven heats it to 800 degrees in the middle. And voila, you should absolutely have given him this answer. Uh, Moving on. It's sports Tinder. A couple different places are trying to encourage people to get the COVID vaccine. Fitz, you've gotten stabbed once. I've gotten stabbed twice. This is all in the name of helping everybody out and being a part of the community, making things safer, helping us get back to normal. And not everywhere is everyone lining up ready to go. So there's some incentives. The NFL is doing one that involves winning Super Bowl tickets, which is fantastic, and New Jersey. 
is doing just exactly what you'd expect from New Jersey. 34 breweries now in the state offering a free beer for vaccine shots. They're calling it a shot in a beer. If you bring in your vaccination <laughs> record, you get the free beer. Shot in a beer program fits. So is this the most, is this peak Jersey? No, oh, I'm going to swipe right. Yeah, this is peak Jersey, but I love it. Like, I'm looking at it and say, this is the way to go. Shot in a beer is also a clever name. So good on Jersey for getting it right. Yeah, I'm going to swipe right. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things that need to be involved en route. You need to be wearing like a tank top. Your hair needs to be uh, at least three inches above your head where your bangs go. Um, You probably need to have like a handgun with you when you go to the bar. Um, Mafia ties. What other Jersey stereotypes can I fit in here to make sure I alienate (laughs) as many people as possible right on my way to the weekend? Did I miss any? Uh, Well, you already had the calzones in, too, so we got the pizza party. Right, and you'll be so overly tanned that you can't see where the shot mark is because, you you know, you're on your way to the gym. All right, I think I got them all. I think I got them all. They'll need Uh, a shot in the drink after they find out the jets still stink. (laughs) Whoa, there we go. That's the dismount. Freddie and Fitzsimmons coming up. Ian Fitzsimmons, Myron Medcalf tonight. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.